getting older. Cannot sleep, got random pain. In some ways you're wiser, bolder, but you're sweating. It's like rain. Search for answers, getting colder. They can't fix it, can't explain. Your anxiety will smolder. You've become a sex withholder. There's bursitis in your shoulder. Cause you're circling the drain. Circling the drain. Circling the drain. Circling, circling the drain. Down the drain. Hello, and welcome to the Circling the Drain podcast. I'm Ellie Dvorkin Dunn. I'm 45, and I know I'm in perimenopause because I've begun to question whether or not I'm too elderly to wear overalls. Hmm. And I am Julia Granaki. I'm 46, and I know I'm in perimenopause because I sigh a lot, Ellie. And with regard to your overalls, hmm. that is a preposterous question. I mean, you couldn't stop me from wearing mine. They have so many pockets. Yeah, that isn't reason enough. You could argue that aging means even more permission to like wear whatever the fuck you want. Thank you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yes. Thank you for that. Because I have some very comfy overalls that are made of this like thin sort of sweatpants material. Like a terry cloth. Sort of. Yes. Yes. French terry, perhaps even. Mm -hmm. And they're like an irresistible option on certain days. They're just hanging there beckoning to me. They do absolutely nothing to flatter my body. Like no part of my body is cute or sexy in them, but they're the best choice when like, I don't want anything tight around my waist and I'm feeling too hot flashy to wear like actual fleece sweatpants. Cause you can wear sweatpants, but then you're literally sweating, right? This is just like a bag on my body, a bag. I'm very jealous of your terry cloth fleet. I feel like, wow. Okay. This sounds wonderful. And I support this wholeheartedly. And Uh I challenge you to send me a pair because I really want some, but I will wear the shit out of them because you know, my feelings about hard pants. I don't like hard pants. You don't like hard pants. The challenge is accepted. If they're still in stock, I will send you a pair. Now tell me about the sighing. You said something about your perimenopausal sighing. That's mm-hmm. not a symptom I've read about on the science. Websites. I know. So I sigh all of the time, Ellie. Okay. Sometimes it is out of exasperation, but sometimes it's to just like dial back the fucks given. It's like almost like a protective response for like my body. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Like preserving my brain or something. So like an exasperated sigh might happen when I read an email at work asking me a stupid question. And it sounds like this. Yes. Uh A dial back the fucks given sigh might happen when I'm faced with a battle at work that normally I would fight, but I have decided it doesn't matter anymore and it's not worth my energy. And the the, the sigh comes out sort of like... (sighs) (laughs) Those were two distinct sighs. I know. That was really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed those sounds. And I like... I like knowing the plethora of psi options and I'm like, I want to come back to you with some even more, maybe, maybe yeah. I have my own size. Oh, we, we all can't do, do that. We no. can't do it right now because that's not what it's time for right now. It's time for science, bitch. This week's science is provided by Wild Cornell Medicine. For women, greater exposure to estrogen in life may protect brain regions that are vulnerable to Alzheimer's people. The drop in estrogen levels that occurs with menopause brings declines in the volume of gray matter, the cellular matter of the brain in key regions that are also affected in Alzheimer's disease. Does that all make sense so far? Yes. But a new study suggests that greater cumulative exposure to estrogen in life 
for example, from having had more children or from having taken menopause hormone therapy may counter this brain shrinking effect. This is huge news, guys. Okay. Considering that nearly two thirds of those living with Alzheimer's in the unit in the United States are women. So if Alzheimer's is prevalent in your family or a topic that is near to your heart for any reason, we will link to the article explaining the study in our show notes. And I just want to say that we we actually, this is kind of a callback a little bit earlier, I think, to an episode where we were talking about this in the first season. So the data is really starting to get out there that HRT yes. can be very supportive for your brain health. And they're calling Alzheimer's the third diabetes, I think, yes. by the way, right? Yeah, I think I heard that. Type, type um, three diabetes. Yeah, yeah. Science is amazing. It is. It truly I love is. how it's always evolving. Yeah. I mean, yes, and it, it is great, but then also it's it sucks when they're like, hey, like, don't eat this. And then five years later, they're like, no, this is actually really good for you. Eat it. Sure. It's confusing. Yeah. Anyway, that's an excellent segue to telling our listeners who we have on the pod today, because these two ladies have used both nutritional science and kinesiology to overcome the odds and become stellar human specimens. Michelle McDonald and her mother, Joan McDonald, are two very inspirational women who have taken social media by storm after Michelle, uh, who is a transformational and contest prep coach, WBFF bikini pro, professional chef, yoga master, and fitness model. She helped her mother, who was in her early 70s at the beginning of their work together, lose a ton of weight, eliminate a slew of health problems from her life, and become a weightlifting role model and phenomenon. Amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. I mean, you have to check out both of them on social media. Michelle goes by your healthy hedonista and Joan is trained with Joan. You will be mesmerized and go down a rabbit hole of holy shit. That's what I did. And when I was compelled to reach out to them for an interview and they both said, yes, I was thrilled. I was like, I can't believe they actually answered this email. It's crazy. But this is our first mother-daughter panel and an incredibly special one at that. So stick around and listen to us talk about how it all happened for Michelle I and Joan. I can't wait. Michelle McDonald is a renowned woman's transformation coach with clients ranging from their late teens to their early 70s. Since 2012, she has been coaching women online, either as part of her annual transformation programs or as physique competitors who are preparing for the stage. She's been featured in many familiar fitness magazines like Oxygen Magazine and Define Magazine, and her most famous client is probably at Train with Joan on Instagram, which is her mother who has become a darling of the fitness world. Over a million followers, everybody. She specializes in working with women 40 years and older and has recently expanded her online coaching platform to include more female coaches to help reach more women. As if all of that isn't enough, she's also a certified Bikram yoga instructor and was a competitive snowboarder at one time. Woo, Michelle. Welcome to the pod. Welcome. Wow. All right. Thank you, Julian. <laughs> so we've got Joan McDonald, which is Michelle's mother. She is a fitness influencer, most well-known on Instagram as at train with Joan. With the support and guidance of her daughter, Michelle, she went uh, through a profound health and lifestyle transformation in her 70s, starting at 5'3 and 198 pounds to literally 
showing off her guns, y'all, on Instagram to the world. She now has her own app and program to inspire and assist other women with their own transformation. Joan, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for inviting me, Ellie and Julie. We're happy to have you. And so, yes, now this is the time. Michelle and Joan, please introduce yourselves. Give us your age and your name so that they can, that our listeners can recognize you by voice and where you are in your perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal journey. Joan, why don't you go first? Okay. My name is Joan McDonald. I am 75 years of age, really rushing into that 76. I am postmenopausal long over with, thank goodness. <laughs> it doesn't last forever, people. I mean, you'd, you'd have to be a rare creature to, for it to last till you're, you end it. <laughs> That's for sure. That's a good reminder, though. Uh, yeah, we need it. It. Is. it was bad when it was, but it wasn't debilitating or anything. I think the night sweats were the worst for me. We hear that a lot. Yeah. And what about you, Michelle? Okay, so I am almost 51. I turn 51 next month. I get regular blood work done. Um, I get blood work done twice a year, which is very easy for me to do here in Mexico. Just go down to the clinic, get it done. Don't need a requisite form or anything. So nice. It's so nice. I know. I try to get my clients to get blood work done and it's like they got to book it, especially Canadians. It's like, it's a process. And sometimes they can't even see the blood work. Only the doctor can. It's like, what? Anyway, so I had blood work done, I think last year and some numbers were off. So I went to see my endocrinologist and she, she said that I was in what's called, I still had a regular period. I'm one of those girls that have a regular period, but I was biochemically or hormonally in menopause, high LH and FSH and low, low estrogen. So that was interesting. And I said, do I need to take HRT? And she said, do you have symptoms? And I said, no, I feel great. And she said, then don't worry about it. I'm like, I love it. So yeah, that's, that's where I am. And I, my periods actually, I haven't had one now for, it's like, maybe I've missed five. I may have missed five now. So now I'm thinking, okay, now we're in it. Now we're in it. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. I love this. It's a, you're, you know, what I also love, like just getting a, a women's opinions on, on HRT and just knowing that like, if you feel great, like if it's not broke, don't fix it. If you don't need to take something, then you don't take something like it's pretty simple in that regard. So I'm going to move on to Joan for a second. Joan, we are a bit obsessed with your Instagram. Um, everyone listening should check it out. You are living proof that it's never too late to start your health journey. Can you tell us how old you were when you decided to take this big step and why? Okay. It was, I think my decision was made in the end of December, wasn't it, Michelle? Of 2016. 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, I, I turned 71 in March. So it was just three months before my 71st birthday, as a matter of fact. And it's been, I, I did it because I was in poor health and, and Michelle said she could fix me. And I'm so sick of being tired and sick <laughs> that I figured what's to lose, you know, like go for it. You might as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it was, uh, She's not an easy taskmaster. <laughs> I bet she gets results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she knows she knows your stuff, and you and you've got to have faith in the person that you're listening to, because if you if you don't, it's not going to go anywhere. 
Can you give us a short list of some of the things that were wrong with you that are no longer bothering you now that you've made this transformation? I was obese, obviously. I had high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. I had acid reflux and Mm -hmm. I was being treated for high cholesterol only Mm -hmm. because I had kidney disease. Mm -hmm. And before the end of the year, like 2017, I was off all of it. Amazing. Because I had asked the doctor if she would support me in this by checking out everything all the time, like constantly. So she had to keep bringing me down on my medications because it was having an adverse effect by having taking them. So, um, yeah, I was off them. It was great. Mom, Mary Dvorkin, I know you're listening. Um, This woman is in your age range and had all the problems that you have. And now she's eating well and exercising and she's all better. Okay, lecture over. We can move on. (laughs) That was slick. I I love that. I love it. That was good. You get to like stick a nut in there. Is that mom? Yeah, she she listens. So yeah, maybe she'll listen to you. She doesn't listen to me. Mom, do you have so hard for Ellie's mom? Oh, I, I said, mom, do you have a special message for Ellie's mom? Oh, please. Oh, yes. If, if, I mean, it's a, it's hard work doing it, but yeah. you really got to want it. And I could not stand taking pills. For one thing, I keep forgetting. I had to have them in a certain spot all the time and make sure that I was there once a day to take them. I took them in the morning, even mm-hmm. though they said the cholesterol one had to be taken at night. Mm-hmm. But it's just... So much nicer to be off medications because they were going to up my medications and I'm going more. No, if I can do anything. And then Michelle came along and she saw what was going on and she gave me an ultimatum, really. And I took it. It's great. I had to. I had and to. part of your Instagram shows your a lot of your befores and afters. And that's what's so, I think, specifically inspiring to people that they can see with their own eyes, what it was and what it is. And what it is now is incredibly impressive. So kudos to both of you. I think it's great that you took these steps before you had a life event, because I feel like so many people wait until something goes terribly wrong before they make these big changes. Mm -hmm. But you were like, I'm getting ahead of this. And now, you know, you're off your meds, which is incredible, just completely incredible. Michelle, so I know that you originally, at least I think, did you set out to become a doctor originally? Oh, you, you were really taking the med tests? Yeah, yeah. So it sounded like you set out to be a doctor, but you were drawn into yoga as a practice to get through medical school. And then you were so drawn in that you became a teacher. And now you're an award-winning bodybuilder and a health coach. Please tell us about that journey. I think you know, I'll be honest, I, I, I was attracted to, I was living in Whistler at the time. And so, you know, that I was, a, I was snowboarding and I had dreams of being an Olympic snowboarder. I've always been competitive in sports. Um, I finished at university and I just took, wanted to take a year away from university, meet some different kinds of people. And then head, I was going to head back and get my doctorate um, in philosophy. At, oh my actually. goodness. Yes, that's my major. But then I I fell in love with snowboarding. I was having fun and and my eyes kind of got open. I got my confidence in outside of an academia because I'd always been an academic. And then I thought, God, I'm good at this snowboarding and there's not a lot of girls and maybe I could go far. But then I was already in my mid twenties, which is old for an Olympic athlete and particularly for a sport that's so high impact, right? Because there's just, you know, you're going to get 
probably injured, wear and tear. And I had a bad accident and it made me realize, gosh, do I want to pursue and possibly be impaired for the rest of my life? And I have lots of friends who are Olympians that including an ex-boyfriend that have had complete surgeries of knees twice, cadavers, bits and pieces put in. Not to mention the traumatic brain injuries. I mean, that's the other risk, you know? Yeah. And I was like, God, I, I don't want that that much. And that sort of always, always made my decision sort of this, this wisdom of like how I want to be when I'm 70. I have this vision of myself when I'm 70 and what I, the choices I make today are going to determine her quality of life. So then and at the time I was doing the typical Whistler work, work uh, to make money, which is waitressing and bartending and all that stuff. And my knees were starting to really hurt me from snowboarding. I thought, well, let's go back to school. And I I really was making the decision, well, what? I don't want to serve alcohol anymore. I want to help people because people need help. I can see that working with adults now, right? Working with people that were then that seemed really old, right? So I was in my mid-20s and they were like 40-year-olds and (laughs) 50-year-olds coming to Whistler at these nice restaurants. They could afford it. And I thought, gosh, like these people are in terrible shape. So then I thought, well, why why don't I become like a doctor, a sports doctor or something like that? And I could you know, work three days a week. That's how I was making my decision, right? It's a 20 year old making decisions. I'll be able to do good. I'll have a good lifestyle. I'll make a decent amount of money. And, and so that's what I, that's how I made that decision. So I went back to school, I commuted back and forth. People thought I was crazy, but again, I, I did really well with my schooling. I was enjoying that, but it was obviously it's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. It's your, I was, I was still training at the time. I would get up and do my cardio and I would be going through my chem and my, my physics uh, reading material. And my last year getting my final bits and pieces together for, to write my MCATs, I was starting to come unraveled a little bit. And the way I kind of look at it now is that I, a deeper part of myself was kind of digging, digging her heels in and saying, this is not the right choice. Mm -hmm. I was doing yoga. I was doing Bikram yoga and it's very repetitive and I would do a night class. It was the only class I could do. So it was very dark and repetitive and I would just be sweating and breathing, which is very grounding. My eating disorder that I've had since I was 16, I no, no longer have it, but at that time it was flaring up mm-hmm. again and a lot of other self-sabotage behaviors were flaring up. And I realized that something was going on and I just couldn't pursue at that time with uh, my MCATs because I was all over the place. My grades were there, but spiritually, I just was all over the place and I couldn't control myself. So, but at yoga, I felt at peace. So I asked my, my teacher, do you think I could do this yoga thing? Would that be a good idea? And I just thought I'd go down and it'd be like a boot camp, go down boot camp, get my mind straightened up like Jedi forces. And then I'd be able to come back, commit to my, my big dream, which now as we're older, I looked at that wasn't a dream. You're just doing it. Cause it thought you thought it made sense. And I was lucky that I, I talked to some friends that were doctors and they said, listen, if you're smart enough to be a doctor, you can do anything you want with your life. I had, I had three friends tell me this and, and my doctor, my actual, my doctor, he was in his fifties. And he said, he actually said, I advise you not to be a doctor. He said, because nowadays it's not what it used to be. He said, you know, when I was in me, when I was a doctor, I, you know, you could have a good, great career, have a family, buy a house, have a good quality of life. He said, now you're, you know, you're going to be a quarter of a million dollars of debt running around chasing insurance companies to get paid. And you're just like a machine. You're just a civil servant. And I was like, oh gosh, okay. And then another friend, two other doctor friends said the same thing. If you're smart enough to be a doctor, you can do anything you want in your life. So if you're going to be a doctor, there's nothing wrong with that, but make sure it's your passion. It's what you really like. If you didn't even get paid, that's your instinct. You want to be a doctor. And I said, well, I, I do want to help people, but 
I actually, I don't want to help people at the back end. That's not my passion. I want to help people at the front end. I don't want to be giving pills and seeing people when they're already, you know, I want to help people in the front end. So that was clear to me. And, and I got a job right away in yoga, right? It's like, oh, this person's, you know, is able to teach well right out of the starting gates. Let's get her working for us. And um, I had a breakthrough personally with bulimia. It literally stopped, which is if you ever had an addiction or you've talked to people, if you're really um, you know, knowledgeable at ad- addictive behaviors like that, it's so hard. It's so hard to unwire that in a person, especially around food. It's so hard. And you're kind of kind of told, well, you'll probably have to deal with it your whole life and all that stuff. And here I am now coaching people. I've got peanut butter and tell ice cream in the fridge. You know, and it's, I don't even, there's nothing. I have lots of stress and bad news happening. And, and I don't think about eating as a way to, to hide from my travels. So it's just a wonderful thing. Yoga really helped me with that. And I started to teach and I started to see what kind of an impact that yoga would have. And so then my journey just kept evolving from there, but that was, that's the whole story um, with like what happened with medicine. Well, I got interested in actually going deeper into helping people with their bodies. It started, it really did start there, but I went from allopathic medicine to like, okay, is there a different way we can help people in the front end where that's really, that's really exciting to me. And so important because you want to stop people from getting to the doctor. You know what I mean? You want to, you want to meet them before they get there. Yeah. Prevent. Yeah, I think folks are a little confused or even scared of the idea of counting macros. Joan, you learned this from your daughter. Can the two of you, whoever would like to go first, demystify this a bit and speak to the importance of balanced macronutrients and the way it impacts your training? Well, when I when I first started, and even today, I don't understand a lot of like the nutrient parts because Michelle's got that education for it. Like she knows what she's talking about. I just know that what she told me to do and how to Mm -hmm. do it, it actually worked. Like you have to have that nutrition as well as working out to get where I got. And anyone can actually do it if they put those two factors together. There's more involved, like there's your hydration and um, and your sleep mean uh, an awful lot as well without those factors right if you don't do it all together you're not going to get the results exactly the way you want them i've heard the saying you can't out train your diet right so i think does this go hand in hand with us a lot of people think well i can eat whatever i want as long as i work out like a fiend but it sounds like no it, it's I that, right i don't think that works at all um, it doesn't you can uh, you're going to eat whatever you want in proportion to the macros which are your protein your carbs and your fats that's what it breaks down to is those three things and if you get the app it does all the math for you you just which tell the my macros app okay Great. It tells you, you put in the food and it tells you what you've got, like what you've got in carbs, what you've got in your fat, what you've got in your protein by, you know, by grams and measuring is I've learned to measure. (laughs) It took a long time, but I learned to measure. My husband used to make fun of me saying, takes you longer to measure out your food. (laughs) 
but Michelle's more educated on this part of it. And I would refer to her for Michelle. Do you have like, you know, our reader's digest version of this? Yeah, I think, I think mommy, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's as simple as food is comprised of usually a combination of protein, carbs, and fat. I mean, whole foods are comprised of a combination of, of, of at least two, if not three of those. And, you know, the, the macro that most people, so I get, I get tons of applications coming through my inbox all the time from women and the macro. What do you guys think the macro is that people are usually really low on? What do I think? What do we think? Yeah. <sighs> Protein. Protein. No. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. I was going to oh, get, yeah. oh, wow. I should have guessed better. <laughs> and what do you think macro they tend to be high on? Carbs. Sometimes, but actually it's fat. 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 Yeah. fat. Yeah. A lot of fat. And so by understanding that, that the foods that you eat and love have this other part to them other than taste and texture, they have, they have nutrients in them that we call macronutrients that we need to eat to be healthy and vital. And then using an app, like there's, there's quite a few apps out there now. I've been using my macros for a long time. Um, I'd say that's the most popular one, wouldn't you? It seems to be the most popular one. It's a popular one for sure. And it's a little bit different than the other popular one is my fitness pal, but my fitness pal prioritizes calories and my macros is for people that really prioritize carbs. And I tell my clients, don't worry about the calories because the calories are attached to the macros, right? We focus on the macros. And so once you, once you have an app like that, that does the math, that mom said that does the math and you got to make sure you have good, what we call it good data. That means the, you know, there's up to 20 or 20 to 30% labeling error that's allowed and stuff on the internet, of course, can be all, you know, completely all wrong. over the place. Yeah. All over the place. So you got to make sure your data is good. There's Wiki Nutrition's pretty good and selfnutrition.com. I tell people just follow me and go in and copy my food list. I got about 500 things there and it's all vetted. And so once you know that and you know, you know, how much you protein you should be having and carbs and fat, which is the other thing, right? Like, well, how do we know? Then you can, you know, plan your meals out. And then the apple, like my mom said, will adjust it. So say you usually have a breakfast sandwich, right? And your sandwich is like a a bagel and cheese and bacon and avocado and some butter and some mayo and an egg. Sounds fantastic. (laughs) I'm like, I'm hungry. (laughs) Yeah. So you enter all that in, you're like, oh my God, that's 18 grams of protein, 38 grams of fat and 54 grams of carbs. And I need to have 10 grams of fat, not 38. So then you got to make some decisions, right? Well, do you want to have the egg or do you want to have egg whites? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have the cheese? What about light cream cheese? Can we have the same kind of creaminess, but without all that fat, can we skip the avocado? you know, have the avocado with maybe some chicken later on, some leaner protein like chicken. And so you have to start to make decisions, make choices, just like you'd educate your kids. You can't have everything, right? have one thing today, one thing, you know, and so you have to have these adult conversations with yourself. And this is what I encourage my clients, learn to be masterful with your ingredients. Can you still have that same, you know, umami Mm -hmm. taste, that same pleasure in your mouth from a sandwich, right? So I I create some recipes that will give that same umami, that same, you know, uh, savoriness to foods, but what we call them great macros, right? So it's not going to bury you in, usually it's going to be burying you in fat or carbs, right? Sugar and fat. Right. So a successful macro 
dieter or meal planner is going to be really smart with their ingredients. They're going to know, you know, maybe some lighter versions of things or alternative or lower carb versions of things. If their carbs are a little bit lower or higher carb things, if they have high carbs, some, some gals I coach have 300 grams of carbs and they feel full. And I say, well, why don't we have some hoisin sauce or some Thai chili sweet sauce, right? A lot of carbs, a lot of flavor and not a lot of size and volume. And then the opposite, of course, is true. And so you still make these wonderful meals, but the actual, actually the macros fit your goals, which might be weight loss better. And then you never feel like you're dieting. That's the goal. It does take planning, like a lot of successful, as we become adult and yeah, when, you're kids, yes. when you're a kid, you're like, I'm going to grow up and do whatever I want. <laughs> and then you get to be an adult. You're like, God damn. Takes planning. Takes planning. <laughs> got a plan for it. I got a budget and plan and you know, yeah, think ahead. Yeah. Think ahead. I think most adult people, well, especially if you people with families or if you're busy, if you're a busy professional, if you have families, like all of that, you're planning your meals to an extent anyway, right? Because if you especially if you're feeding kids, like I think a lot of moms, you know, are trying to plan ahead to make sure that they're mm, yeah. you know, you're like maybe you're switching up cooking with your husband, all of that kind of stuff. So it's not a big ask to really make that a part of your practice, right? To do that. And then also what I love about this idea too, is that you need to feed the body. Like you got to feed the body. You got to give the body what it needs. And you want to make sure you're giving all the correct proportions of all of the things that you can have sustained energy so that you're not fatigued so that, you know, you you're sleeping right but that you can still have the Nutella because I can't live without Nutella. So, you know, having the things that you love, but in mo- in the in moderation according to the plan, right? So, yeah, I think that's a good, that is, that's very good demystifying, I think, to let listeners know that it's really more, most, most about planning so that you can have mm-hmm. the things that you want, I think, in a lot of ways. And you mentioned, you know, these recipes and things. You, you, have, you have a website where people mm-hmm. can find a lot of this. Is that right? That is right. I have actually a free, free ebook that you get for subscribing. It's my, you know, I wrote it probably five years ago and it's called the best of the basics. So it's, yeah, my website's your healthy And all of this will go in our show notes. So everyone can find it very easily. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure we link to all of your stuff because it's so helpful. And now for the, the main topic, weightlifting, one of my favorite topics. You know, we talk about the value of lifting on this show quite a bit, especially strength training as you age, but we don't talk a lot about the importance of flexibility and joint mobility. And I think, and Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, but it it seems like there are a lot of, you know, bodybuilders out there who, especially men who like can't touch their toes, you know? And I love that you bring the element of yoga into your practice for that very reason. I saw you doing a reverse lotus on Instagram. I don't know. This was like a while ago. You were like in your gym, your mm-hmm. outdoor gym. She's got this outdoor gym in Mexico. It is just delightful. I want to go there. It makes me just want to go to Mexico. Um, so you're doing this reverse lotus. And I kept thinking to myself, if this isn't a PSA for strength training and maintaining flexibility, I don't. I don't know what is. So can you please explain to our listeners why it's so important to maintain both strength and flexibility as you age? I'm kind of cheating a little bit because I spent, I spent 10 years, you know, aggressively pursuing yoga and by, by aggressively, I mean, I competed, which means I was doing uh, like two classes a day plus teaching. Plus we would do this full, like 50 back bends a day. So I radically changed my flexibility in my mid thirties. So when I started with bodybuilding at 40, I already 
I'd already done the work. It was done. And then I just had to maintain it. And to be honest, lately in the last three years, I, I haven't done a lot of yoga, but my body has made maintained its flexibility and I wouldn't lose any more flexibility than that I've lost already by not right. focusing on it. So that's so but if you're if you're new to everything, to training and flexibility and you're feeling like gosh, age is a reality and it's set in, then it's very important to highlight some flexibility training into your resistance training. And resistance training won't make you inflexible. One of my favorite sayings and gals quote me all the time, not stretching will make you inflexible. So, and with flexibility, it's, it's like putting braces on your teeth. It has to be done on the daily to actually improving the range of motion. And it's really interesting. The studies suggest that you can't, you're not actually changing the length of your muscle, but you're actually, what you're really doing is changing um, your body's uh, sort of set point Mm -hmm. about what, what is safe. Right. And so, and so as you, because when you're unconscious and you guys probably know this, but when you, when they knock you out unconscious uh, for like anesthesia for surgery, they have to be very careful with how they move you. Right. I didn't know that, but it makes sense. Because when you're knocked out, when your CNS is knocked out, your body is just, it's like rubber and you can dislocate, you can get dislocated quite easily. So they have to be quite careful when they move you. So no, not a bad thing. It's just, it's interesting how much your brain determines so much about, about your, about you. So when you're stretching, you got to do it daily and you got to understand that that ouchy feeling is actually, it's your brain saying, Whoa, this is, this is our comfort zone. And what you have to do is kind of go there, not push or bounce, but kind of go to where it's uncomfortable and just try to breathe. Breathe. I was just going to say, breathe. And, you know, two to three sets, right? Because you know, the first set, you're going to have that kick back and then you'll go a little bit deeper on the second set because your body's like, oh, whoa, that, I didn't die. That was okay. And then you do the third one if you have time for it and you'll get a little bit deeper. And you do that every day. My One of my best yoga teachers, um, Mary Jarvis, used to say, because I asked her, I said, how many backbends should I do a day? Or what should I do to become a champion? And she said, mm-hmm. do what you can do every day. It's better to mm-hmm. do something every day than to do like two hours once a week. Mm-hmm. That's yes, how you that consistency. Consistency. Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. Now I'm going to stretch more. Joan. <laughs> habit stack. So habit ex- stack. Right. So yeah, habit, habit stack. stack. Oh we just used this term two days ago, Ellie, right? Three days ago. Yes. Yes. We were just we, talking we, about you know, habit stacking. We just were, and we had what we thought our understanding of it was, and then we looked it up and got even a deeper understanding, and it's our new favorite Favorite. phrase. So I love that you just brought it up because we literally heard it for the first time this weekend, right? this weekend, yeah. Yeah, that makes me feel like something in the universe is aligning. Anyway, Joan, I am so excited that you and Michelle are our very first mother-daughter interview, which gives us the first opportunity so far to ask about what the experience of menopause was like for you. I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but how much did you share with your daughter as it was happening? I doubt if I shared anything with her, it was happening to me. I guess that's, I'm a selfish little person. No, I, I, I did not. I didn't know. I didn't know. I I didn't think of of bringing Michelle into the, into what was happening. I don't think she was around anyway. Like she had, she had left home, right? Michelle, you went to private school, the rest of it at 14 or 15. Yeah. She wasn't around when I was going through it. 
because there's there's just almost 25 years between us. So it didn't happen mm-hmm. to me until after I had a hysterectomy. And that oh, was wow. in my 40s. Okay. I think it was 41 or 42. So it was medical induced. Yeah, uh, I had a, a quite a large tumor in my uterus and um, they could only do it through an incision. They couldn't get it out any other way. So, yeah. It was the size of a grapefruit, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, they said like a size of a baby's head. Like they showed me, oh my God. they showed me the die X-ray. He says, "Do you see that little line there? That's your uterus, and that's the tumor." So it was just they were butting up against each other. So it was the same, yeah, wow. same size. That must have been very uncomfortable. It was. It was actually. It was very painful when I was doing exercises and then I, I could, when I did um, lay down, it stuck out like a hernia type thing, you know, yeah, like a ball, like a ball. Yeah. I didn't know what it, what it was all about. And I know it was, it was very, it made my sex life really, really bad. <laughs> like it was painful. Very, very yeah. weird. Yeah. And you weren't talking to your daughter about that at the time. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> That's so she strange. was around to talk to. <laughs> you know, if she was, not everybody talks to their daughter well, about their sex no, life. No. So. Or you might, you know, terms of <laughs> to endearment. Each their own. To, to each own. their own. That's right. Totally. All right. Well, I think now we are going to jump to the final four, which are a set of questions that we ask all of our guests. And so we would like each of you to answer the following questions. The first one is, what do you wish you understood at 30 that you know now? Whoever wants to jump in first. I wish I knew how much nutrition and exercise meant to, to, you know, for your future life. Like this, what I've gone through is for anyone, like, I don't care if you're in your 20s or in your 70s, if you can do it, if you've got any flexibility, if you want, if you have any desire, and you can be consistent, you can accomplish what I have as well. And it is when you said earlier about consistency, it, I did my exercises, regardless if I wanted to or not, like I knew that I had to keep at it. And it, it did work out. Yeah. It's paid off. Paid off. Still paying. <laughs> showing off your guns. I love I just love seeing you on Instagram, like showing off your bathing suits. showing off the muscles. And I'm like, dang, I need some of that in my life. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, she's good. Michelle, what about you? What do you wish you understood at 30 that you know now? Oh, the list is like forever, right? I'm, I'm probably- sure. It's so long. Yeah. I actually knew about nutrition and training at that age because I've always been interested in it. So I'd probably say, I wish I'd known the importance of investing in real estate. Number one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> totally. Oh, my God. That's one. No one has, that's, that's not, a first. not an answer anyone has given us. I like yes, it. I love oh when we God. get fresh answers. And probably like documenting things, right? So I knew about nutrition. I knew about training, but I was haphazard. And what I teach my clients is we want like line graphs and before and afters as you're progressing. Mm. So you're seeing like this is day one. 
day seven, day one, day 14, day one, day 21. And it starts to get exciting, right? You're yeah. like, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, really having lots of data, like really documenting everything and in those in, in photos. And I think it just really ties you to, keeps you passionate and keeps you consistent, right? Because those not, you don't want those numbers to, you don't want it to stop and have these, you know, what, what happened? What happened there? There's no data. I don't know. Um, right. Science is really sexy. That's all I have to say. Like being able to track your <laughs> progress like that is really it like is. highly motivating, highly motivating. It so actually good. is. It actually is. It actually is. Yeah. I, I like it. I like the way your brain works. I really like it. Question number two, what do you have an abundance of? I have an abundance of love in my life. Uh, I, I can't, I can't imagine anyone being loved by strangers as well as family as much as I have like you know you get comments and I just love you can you be my grandma (laughs) can you be my mom (laughs) it's I don't know it's it feels wonderful positivity coming at you is is pretty pretty phenomenal that's wonderful Wow, I love that. I that is that is I couldn't wish for anything more for my mom, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, what was the question again? Oh, what, what do you, what have, do you an have an abundance, abundance of? of? Oh gosh. You know, I was gonna say love or happiness, then my mom took that one. That's okay. Yeah, you can the it's same. Like abundance of happiness. Yeah, like really joyful happiness that I wish I had had when I was younger and, you know, when you're young and you're so confused, but yeah, I get up every day, super happy, no matter how busy or piled high my workload is, I'm really happy and I love what I do. I just love it. So yeah. I love it. That's if that's not a testament for following your dreams, not, you know, at the risk of sounding cliche and cheesy, but you did that. And so your work doesn't feel like work. You feel happy. And not everyone can say that. This is a good one for both of you. Question three, what part of your body are you most proud of and why? You both have such beautiful bodies and you (laughs) got to pick one part. (laughs) Well, some days it's my hair, but I really like the shape that I'm in now. I just feel like my legs are longer. And when I first started this journey and I look at the pictures, I go, how could I grow legs? They were like stumps before, <laughs> but you know, like it's just that they got thinner. So they look longer. Yeah. Right. That must be it a is. trip. <laughs> just, yeah. 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 It's a big trip. It's amazing. It's, I love watching mom shop now. I mean, I remember when she was, I think it was that first year we must've gone shopping, oh, yeah. right? The end of the first and you were kicking up a fuss, or maybe it was in your year two when you came down to Mexico and you kicked up a fuss. And I took it at Forever Twenty One. Yeah, and she, and she's like, "Nothing's gonna fit me." And that's the These are I said, young girls. I said, "Get get in there, and I'm gonna bring you stuff. You're just gonna try it on." And I remember taking that first picture. You were in those leggings and that the top, green, and I, yeah, I said, the green one, yeah. And being a physique coach, and I know lighting and body, so I said, "I want you to stand under this beautiful." overhead light that shows all those shadows and all those muscles and turn your back and just push your hands against your thighs. And so her, her, so it screwed off her shoulders and we could see, and it was a razorback kind of a top. It's one of her older pictures and we could see hers, all the muscles on her upper back popping. And I showed her the picture 
And that's really important to show people, right? Because they're so used to seeing that bigger person or that other version of themselves. And that's still the strongest version that comes to their mind when they think of themselves. And she said, that's not me. That's me. I'm like, that's you. And we're not, there's no abracadabra here, right? It's just knowing how to stand the lights, right? And how, and now I, she, you know, she loves to go shopping. She just bought something the other day in one of my favorite shops. I couldn't Ah. find anything that fit me. And she just, you know, first thing she tries on was, Beautiful pair of pants. That's so great. I, Michelle, you had said it something, something that I just had to bring up that resonated with me that I loved. And you, you I, I, I guess I read it on your Instagram, but you had said that you see the athlete in every person. And I just love that idea of like just knowing that you've got like there's a powerful person inside of you. You just got to like let it out, you know? You got to let it out. Yeah. Got to let it out. Yeah. I think. You know, because I get asked a lot, you know, how do you coach older people or how do you coach women in menopause and, you know, and girls saying, what should I do differently? And I just come, you know, I coach the athlete in everyone. And of course, it takes time to unearth the athlete sometimes, but I always see that potential. And as long as the person's willing to meet me halfway, anything's possible. And I think my mom's the perfect example of that. Totally. and I think it was her third, second or third year when she was down in Mexico and, and she had, she had great hip hinge patterns. She really knows how to brace like all the basic stuff that you would need as a coach to feel safe, um, having somebody do barbell work. And I said, well, let's see you do the hip thrust. I hadn't, I don't, I coach online and mom's not good at all at taking videos of herself. So we, we take videos when she's here, but I didn't know what she was doing back in, in Canada. So when she came to me and I saw, oh, God, she's got good hip hinge pattern. She's moving well. Let's get to put a bar on her. And I like hip thrust because it's very safe. It's not a lot of range of motion. It doesn't take a, a lot of skill to do that. And she did 135 pounds really easy. That's the bar and 245. She just pops it off the floor. And I'm, I'm like, okay. And I think the next day or two days later, that's when I got that video that went viral. I said, well, here, let's, let's put, and I would just slip on 10 pounds and she, she'd do another eight, seven reps and another, I put another 10 pounds on and we got, I'm like, Oh my God. And I said, brace. And, and I'm a, I'm a coach. Right. Yeah. So I get cues and it kind of overrides her own, you know, person's own doubt or fear. And, and she ended up doing, I think it was 200 and you got wow. and I did a video of her. And I said, she said, how much was that? I said, mommy, the 200 pounds. And that look on her face was just so like, <laughs> What? What are you yes. trying to do? Kill that- me? <laughs> <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> Clearly not. Yeah. But you got to see that in somebody. And I, I do think that this is just a terrible disservice to women, especially older women, and for sure, women of my mother's age. Is there's this kind of like, and you know, sometimes it's encouraged by girls, right? They go to the gym and they just want somebody to chat to. They're not, you know, but the ones that that do really want to make a change happen, and it's it is hard. You have to be a good coach to, you know, how to get somebody to grow into themselves. So that does take skillfulness, but you've got to see it and guide them and say, well, I think this is where, and I do that. I I want to see you doing two seventy five pound hip thrusts by the end of this program. And, the, and they maybe they're only doing 95 pounds and they think I'm nuts, but you know, by month three or four, there they are. They're like, Oh my God, I'm most of my current girls now in my, my July cohort are in the mid two hundreds. And they're gonna, you know, it's, you got to see that And most people wouldn't have coached my mom. Yeah. Absolutely. To do deadlifts. Right. They would be worried. They wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't know how to fix issues. And so you'd, she'd be abandoned. She'd just be stuck on machine. 
brain work and don't push too hard and 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 that and and I think it's a disservice because it doesn't matter what age you are we all build muscle the same way by by adapt by by, by by putting enough stress on the body yep. that is forced to adapt and the food is the same thing you can't grow muscle without food um, older people do need more protein we know that as people age that their ability to you know metabolize protein goes down they, they become a little bit less efficient so they need actually a little bit more protein hmm. and so on and so forth so it's you got to see the athlete you got to train the athlete and you have to know what you're doing as well so it's sure. can't just be a slogan on a t-shirt yes train the athlete yeah right. gotta know you what you're doing doing. Yes. Know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. But Michelle, what's your favorite body part? <laughs> oh, she didn't answer the question. <laughs> no, I was wondering if she's going to go back. Oh, I came um, back. Yeah. Can I have two? Uh, sure. Yes. Love my, it. Or three, maybe. I think my shoulders, I, w- I worked hard on those. I spent one year training them three times a week, Oof. about tw- 25 sets a week. So my shoulders, my back, I do love my back, my upper back and my legs. I never used to love my legs. And I remember I hired my husband to be my coach uh, back in 2010. And I was in India. So it was my first time, you know, online. And he gave me these Bulgarian split squats and lots of of lunges and things like that. And I remember after three months, I took a picture of myself and I I was taking, sending him progress photos. And I saw these lines on my legs. I said, I wrote to him, I said, you're going to be the a famous coach. If you can make this, for, so I was already, I turned 40, right? Like, if you can make a 40 year old, which now I think is quite young, to be honest. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. If you can turn a 40 year old, if you can get, get, give a 40 year old legs like this in three months, you're going to be lined up around the door because this is, a, I can't, I couldn't believe it. And now I kind of take it for granted. I mean, my legs are just my legs now. But I remember when I was a young girl in high school and I would see people with these muscles in their legs. I didn't have that. And I was I was like, wow, I wish I had legs like that. And then isn't it funny that now in my 40s now you do. that I would have those. So I do love my legs. Yeah. They're beautiful. Your legs are even, even better now than those high school girls' <laughs> legs yeah. back then. Yeah. All right. We've got two more questions. And then we can let you ladies go. Julia, do you want to take this next one? Yes. What single piece of advice would you give the next gen of women to prepare them for the transitional changes to come? For myself, I would advise them to make sure that they are serious about change. And it's not something mm. that's going to come fast. It's you've got to work at it. You've got to face that fact that you are going to work at it to get your results. I think that's you mean. I think you mean menopause, right? The change of menopause. Oh. Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, so many. That is part of it, but but I it mean, can be interpreted say, however you like. Awesome. Changes you age. Yeah. Changes you evolve. There are a lot of transitional. Changes. So many changes. (laughs) Many aspects of life. Every generation, every 10 years, I think there's a change Mm -hmm. in everybody. Michelle? Yeah, prepare for change by being flexible. Um, What I always say, I say to my younger clients, you know, keep working on your mindset you know, learning how to control your mind, be, you know, learn to, you know, learn to be an observer. So you're not getting whisked along, making reactive decisions based on your emotions or your, your, your thoughts or prejudices, like really learn to observe yourself and develop some great habits, right? Mm-hmm. Lifestyle habits, obviously, right? So you got to prioritize sleep. Just forget about everything you heard that sleep when you're dead. I mean, yes. sleep is so important. Manage. It's like my favorite thing to do. 
<laughs> beauty sleep, it's a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. So sleep's important. Hydration's important. Muscle is the organ of longevity. So invest whatever that means for you, whatever's fun for you, but invest in actually building and maintaining some muscle. You don't have to be a bodybuilder, but you do you want muscle as you age and flexibility and make sure that your, your nutrition plan is giving you, you know, robust health. So again, forget about the RDAs, you know, like the, what, what, what's the minimum of something you need to thrive. Think about what, what do I need to, to, sorry, to survive. Think about what do I need to thrive, like to really have optimal health. So that's a lot, but all good stuff. It's worth it. Our final fun bonus question is, I know the two of you are very busy growing your businesses and building a brand, but if you could have one extra hour of free time every day, how would you use it? Myself, I would just enjoy my life <laughs> because you do get busy and there doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to get everything done, really. So just really yeah, sit back and smell the roses. <laughs> so sort of just being present and enjoying whatever yeah, moment you're in. I hear you. That's a good advice. That's good. What about you? God, that sounds great. (laughs) I'd read a fiction book. It used to be my favorite thing in the world to do. It's been so long since I've been able to read good, good, good fiction. So I, I miss it. I miss it. I used to read mom. Remember when I was a kid, I would always be running around with my nose buried. She was always walking around with a book in her hand, even when she was delivering papers. The neighbors just <laughs> say things about her. How does she know where she's going? She's just reading all the time. Yeah, fiction, good <laughs> fiction by imaginative writers like Margaret Atwood and uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you know, we just go somewhere and be be, sedu- be be seduced mentally, emotionally seduced through your mind through reading. I miss that. Good. Well, I hope I wish that for you. I hope you I hope you get some time to do it soon. What were you going to say, Julia? Well, I was going to say, I have a stack of books on my nightstand that I'm reading and the one that is fiction is on the bottom, bottom right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, and I may never get to it. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, ladies, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This was so great to have you. And I know you're so busy. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. This was so great. Thank you for having us. Well, you beautiful hosts. Oh, yes. <laughs> Listeners, to learn more you. about Joan and Michelle and the work they do, please visit our show notes and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Good night now. Good night. So Ellie, do you think after listening to this that your mom will be motivated to transform herself the way that Joan did? I don't, Julia. I don't. But I would watch the hell out of a reality show where Michelle and Joan show up at her door and give it the old college try. Because my mother with her British accent would be like, go fuck yourself. Oh, my God. I mean, this is gold. This is television gold. Hear that, reality TV producers? A golden opportunity in the palm of your hands. Please make it so. My phone is ringing off the hook already. Yeah, I bet. It's happening. Yes. Okay, that's a good cue to end the episode. 
Listeners, thank you for continuing to like our podcast, but we love to remind you that actions speak louder than likes. So please review it if you haven't already done so and share it with anyone you think that might enjoy it. You can also support us at Patreon by clicking the support button on the episodes page of our website or by going to patreon.com forward slash circling the drain podcast. Let's end this week with a healthy round of fewer fucks. Mm. This week, I have fewer fucks to give about shaving my legs. It's February. I'm not wearing shorts anytime soon. And my son thinks that my prickly legs are sharp and fancy. He's actually used those two words to describe them. Mom, these hairs are so sharp and so fancy. That is a recording that I need to hear, by the way. I'll be able to have my phone when he says it, but I'll try. But what does your husband think? Of my legs? Of your hairy legs. He loves them all of the ways. So I will do the same. He knows he's like, he like legit doesn't care. But he also knows like, even if he did care, he wouldn't be allowed to say because that's just like not acceptable. So smooth, prickly, combable. All states of my legs are acceptable and I don't give a fuck. That is nice. I like it. This week, I have fewer fucks to give about my day job. Just give me my money and let me go home. Thank you. I would like to do that for you. Everyone knows that this podcast is the most important job you have anyway. So let's just be real. It's true. And if you're listening and would like to sponsor us, I'd love for this to be my day job. Oh, that was a new sigh. Was that a new sigh? Was it? You just let me hear it again. Huh. What kind of sigh was that? Like if you had to name it. I think it was the sigh of wishful thinking sprinkled with disappointment, Ellie. Okay. <laughs> it was a lot. That's a lot <laughs> of words about a sigh. This episode was deep. produced. <laughs> deep sighs. This episode was produced by me, Ellie Devork and Dunn. And me, Julia Granaki. Remember, we feel your pain. You're not insane. You haven't gone down. You're just circling the drain. <laughs> <laughs>